0: When the weather is fine, then you know it's a sign For messing about on the river If you take my advice, there's nothing so nice As messing about on the river There are long boats and short boats and all kinds of craft Cruises and keelboats and some with no draft. So take off your coat and hop in a boat. Go messing about on the river.
1: In Ireland, if you decide to go messing about, the river will probably be the Shannon. 210 miles long, including a 52-mile estuary, 480 miles of coastline, a 1,000 miles of tributary waters, 38,000 acres of water, not counting the estuary, and it drains one-fifth the area of Ireland. How, then, does the Shannon compare with other waterways? Ordinary
2: European cruising, if that's uh, not a kind description, it falls largely into canal cruising. We have sister companies on the French canal, so I think I can say a little authoritatively there. Th- they're on canals, and these canals are commercial. This has uh, the advantage that they're always very well maintained, the disadvantage that there's a fair bit of competition for the, for the hireer in that big boats have to be given right away. Uh, they, canals will go through uh, towns because they are commercial uh, waterways, and that is an advantage from the point of view of entertainment, uh, eating, particularly in France. Uh, but some canals can be merely lateral canals, as in the Nivernais or on the Loire, uh, that is, they go alongside the river because the river itself is unnavigable, and they can be pretty dull, you know, averagely along with the Grand Canal, with due respect to Celtic cruisers of Tullamore, uh, a bit dull. The Dutch canals, um, again, very closely interconnected, a lot of shipping on them. Out in Freeland on the Dutch coast, you're in the N- uh, the Balt- North Sea, and it's a bit uh, uh, very pretty, but uh, a bit rough. And on the North German canal... Uh, uh, by keel you're really in the big time. Traffic lights, huge ships, multiple international signs. And on all of those canals, a limitation as to the size of your engine under 10 horsepower, which makes you rather a minnow in a very big tank. That's the European scene. The British scene, most people know of. The Broads, which is uh, a flooded Fenland, uh, 2,000 boats, many towns, very popular uh, because of all the entertainment uh, that is on the banks, on the shores. Uh, wildlife light and winter are very nice. The Shannon is simply a great waterway where the others aren't. It has a great nature and a great lordliness and a great uh, scale that the others don't have. Uh, certainly people who come again from abroad will pay a lot in airfares and that to get uh, to here and they will buy big boats to have plenty of space. But they will have far more space relative to the conditions they've come from than they are likely to find anywhere in Europe. I think it's we Irish, of course, are blessed with having a lovely country and lots of space. We're used to possibly sitting on a hill in Connemara and having nothing between us and Inishapafn except nature. Uh, this doesn't happen to Continentals, and the relative amount of room they get at home is very much smaller than the vast amounts of room that they get on the Shannon. It is a huge place, the Shannon.
3: I've had holidays on all the o- other waterways. I've been on the Norfolk Roads and also on the French canals and the Brittany canals. I did this as sort of a, a busman's holiday. I wanted to see what the other waterways were offering in comparison to ours and to see also what the cruises were like. And i um, not being biased, but I still think we have the best river and definitely the best cruises. Um, the French waterways I found quite boring because I don't happen to like cruising on canals. I prefer a river, and with rivers and lakes on the Shannon, I think basically it it is unsurpassable. And I know that might sound a bit corny coming from me, but I really truly believe that.
4: Well, I have never taken a holiday on other waterways, but I have visited them, spent a few hours on on board cruisers just cruising around. And I I would agree with what Mary says, but then we're somewhat biased. But I think looking at it objectively, it's very hard to find a waterway. As good as the Shannon, it certainly is unpolluted and as clear as the Shannon. And there is absolutely no doubt that the standard of the boats on the Shannon is exceedingly high. Um, maybe too high in some ways, and this accounts for the for the high hire fees which you mentioned a few minutes ago. But the equipment is certainly first class, and it's the one of the biggest and the most unpolluted waterway I would say, in Europe, bar none.
5: There's nothing to touch the Shannon in Europe. Again, they have, in size... Uh you can only compare it in size to what the Rhine would be like or the Seine. Both commercial waterways cluttered, polluted, full of rules, regulations. Nowhere, that I know of anyway, can you cruise a distance like we have in clean, quiet waterways. Holland has good waterways but it's very featureless, very flat. Very flat, yes. They don't have the, the lake setup that we have. Of course, they have their Lovely canals and the flowers and the windmills on it, but we don't have that. But we have a m- more natural beauty than Holland would have. And the Norfolk Broads <coughs> are overcrowded? Overcrowded, dirty. Um, satisfies a, a certain type of boating. All right. Plenty of little pubs at night, sing song plays on this, which we don't have. But then don't? We, we don't have. No, we don't. We've about a half a dozen on the whole length of the river. That's all. But that's what people like. They don't come for pubs net. They come for the peace and quiet. If you go up the river now, late at night from here, you see many, many places along the The boats just pulled into the rushes overnight, staying overnight at these places. In the waterways two years ago, did a work-in project, and we dropped eight big moorings in secluded places around the lake. They are relatively safe from dangerous winds. That's our thing. And... Published these where they were on a chart. And every night you go out, you find two, three boats together on these mornings, having their own quiet little session. It was lovely.
6: Well, I would say that on the river itself you don't worry about lack of entertainment because even on a wet day, and I, I must admit one of my terrors before going on the river was that, you know, what do you do if it rains? You obviously can't go very far, or if you do it's going to be miserable. Uh, you can't go swimming, you can't go fishing, you can't go doing anything else. Uh, the only thing you've got is a pack of cards on board if you're lucky. Uh, I never found it a problem. I've been on the Shannon and on the Canal and on the the, the, the Barrow in wet weather and I've never been in the least bit worried by it because I, I found it just quite pleasant. You start finding your own entertainment like people do when there's no radio or television. You start talking to one another. You start just doodling about maybe reading a newspaper maybe just trailing your hand in the water just wandering about the the pace is such that you don't have to worry about time therefore entertainment's not a problem
3: we want a a man who wants relaxation who wants open spaces who's coming from um, a very busy city in in the middle of europe somewhere or, or england and he wants a totally relaxing holiday at the same time he would like a nice restaurant in the town or a nice uh, hotel dining room to have a good meal in not every night of his holiday perhaps but every second or third night
4: oh I think that's without doubt we have good boats they are luxury boats but if you consider the situation of a housewife coming from a very modern super duper kitchen in an expensive apartment block in Frankfurt or Dusseldorf or somewhere like that no matter what type of boat she's on the galley and the boat will not just be as good as her kitchen at home. And in addition, mother is on her holidays and she doesn't wish to spend her holidays washing dishes and, ma- and cooking meals. So people tend to have snack meals during the day and to go out to eat at night.
3: We're quite happy, really, if we can have um, at least every second night a, a decent place to eat out. And this is what most of the hirers want.
1: The views of those who hire out cruisers, Paddy Ryan, Kerry Sloan and Mary Thomas, Sean Fitzsimons, who is reared on the Shannon, and at least one satisfied customer, Theoco Brin. Where, in general, do the visitors to the Shannon come from?
3: Well, basically, of course, the major market on the Shannon is the German market at the moment, and we have a, a good contingent from Switzerland and from France, and the British market this year is certainly up, and we certainly have many more British hirers, Um, but you might be interested to know that the Irish market is is fast growing certainly a lot of Irish people have weekends um, it's it's quite a a trendy thing now for most Dubliners to have a couple of weekends on the Shannon one at the beginning of the season and one at the end of the season but I think Kerry would agree that the Irish market is growing, we're now actually getting families in the peak on holiday
4: Oh yes, there's no doubt about that the breakdown is interesting, approximately 40% of the people on the Shannon come from Germany inner about 15% from Ireland and then there's 10% from Britain, France, Switzerland and places like that. So the Irish are actually the second largest contingent. Now, initially the Irish came for weekends. First of all for boozy and dirty weekends and finally for family weekends. But strangely enough, they are now coming in the high season and you'll get Irish families taking a cruise around the Shannon for a week or a fortnight in July and August. A thing which we thought would never happen. But when you consider the family situation and the cost of flying a family to the Costa del Sol or even the Costa, the Costa del Wexford the Costa del Shannon is not that expensive
5: you know, a lot of um, say German people who run businesses <coughs> pardon me, that are busy in the summer ones, publicans hoteliers and all that sort of thing, they come in the earl, very early season, around Easter you can, you can nearly see the pattern of people one gets in uh, Easter April and May Publicans and hoteliers, restaurateurs. But they are busy at the same time everybody else is busy in the summer, high summer. And this time of the year now we get professional people.
1: And late in the year?
5: Late in the year again, it runs back into the publican type of thing again. People who are, can take holidays when everybody else is not on holidays. So.
1: To hire a cruiser on the Shannon is relatively expensive.
4: Well, I'm afraid I can't (laughs) altogether agree with you. (laughs) Um, On the face of it, it is an expensive proposition. But when you get down to it, it's no more expensive than most holidays and less expensive than some. Our most expensive boat this year at the most expensive time would be an eight-bar cruiser which would cost £650 per week. Now, that sounds an awful lot, but it takes eight people. It's completely equipped to a very high standard and the only other expenses you need to incur is the cost of your fuel, which is nominal, and, and the cost of your food, which doesn't amount to a whole lot anyway. Most of the, fu- the food consumed on the Shannon holidays is a liquid variety coming in cans <laughs> or bottles anyway. <laughs> um, so the total cost of the holiday compares very, very favourably with any other holiday. Now, I'm only quoting high season rates. That same boat can be had around Easter for about £300, roughly half the, the rate.
5: It's fairly pricey, six £700 a week. But uh, How many berths? Five, six berths. Mm-hmm. Then you can go up with the eight berth cruiser, because goes, goes up proportionally. But when you consider you have a floating hotel, luxury hotel in your fingertips, on loan for a
1: week, it's not that bad. This year, Shannon Cruising has faced peculiar difficulties. There were rumours that business was not so good.
5: No, it's had a lot of setbacks this year. Now, for the pro- private boat owner, of course, it's nothing wrong with it at all much. But, from the hiring people's point of view it's been a, a hard year. Your postal strike of course and telephone strike it played a bit of mess with bookings and that, confirmations. And now we have water problems in part of the river. That is down there again the river's shocking condition.
4: Well, obviously there had to be some losses just the postal strike. But most of our selling is done through wholesale tour operators on the continent and we're all linked to them by TEDx. And in addition, we sell allotments of boats to them 12 months ahead, or they buy a certain amount of space on our boats and they can sell that. So they don't have to communicate with us as directly as you might think. But against that, a lot of our booking comes from what we call direct bookings coming directly from the clients themselves, and we were certainly cut off completely from these people for the the total duration of the strike. Mary might have had the same problem because she has a, a London address, we set up our own postal service using a cover address in Enniskillen, and this was used quite well by the agents who, who, to whom, who we could contact and inform them of it. But it was very difficult to get in contact with the, the, the private people, the direct, the direct booking people. And um, once they made contact, we could put them through that address. But those who couldn't make contact, we could, just couldn't tell. So there obviously were obviously were some losses from um, the strike. Right.
3: Yes, I'd say possibly one of the markets we'll see an effect in will be the French market. We were all very actively this year trying to build up the number of French tourists on the Shannon and the French are uh, a race who book individually and directly with the operator and of course this was certainly hit on the head by the postal strike this year. Um, We hope again to renew our efforts in the French market.
4: In fact, the French one couldn't have been much worse because we'd invested several thousand pounds in in an advertising campaign in France based on a French address to which the inquirer could reply and French mailing house who mailed out um, packs of our brochures to the inquirer, and it was then up to the person concerned to contact the company in whose post he was interested in. And this the timing of this turned out to be precisely the timing of the postal strike. So the ads appeared one week before the post office shut down. So the net result from this French promotion was zero. <laughs>
2: it was enormously difficult, John, to sit and watch your uh, postal system just not being operable, but on the other hand, to know that your telex lines stayed intact, Uh, You had a good telephone connection in Dublin and that people were getting through one way or the other. We were a bit worried that after the five-month strike we'd find a vast bag of bookings of people who were frustrated and couldn't get to us. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, we found only two that we had to return. The people had come by one means or another. And people who come to hire cruises on the Shannon do book very far in advance and they're very determined. I'm sorry for those who didn't have telex, and had no telephone. They really must have suffered.
5: Well, the Derg was a, a, a unique problem this year, because <coughs> during this dispute in Poolbeg, in Dublin, they drained off an awful lot of water from the Shannon through our Crusher to make up for power losses. And it would seem, not blaming technicians or anything, that it took the water too fast, dropped the level too fast in the lake. The banks hadn't got time for their to drop with the water level, and the bank just collapsed at O'Brien's Bridge. And the result is it reduced the level in Loch Derg by five to six feet at the moment. As soon as it happened, of course, all the sluices the whole way back up the river, the control the levels, were closed. So we're enjoying a very high water level in, at Lawn for this time of the year. And
1: they're not filtering it down into Derg to
5: replace no, the water no, that's lost? No, they're holding it all back because if they just filter down the Derg they just go straight over a branch bridge, the power station's be- not getting the benefit of it. So they have to hold it back.
1: This must affect both people
5: in Lock Derg very badly. Very badly. The, the, the Derg branch within the waterways have had to cancel their rally that they hold the first week in August because they had overnights planned for Terry last. Mount Shannon, Scariff, Drum and, Ear, and Gary Kennedy. Now, all these harbours now, I believe, are dry. There's no way to get anything into them, some of them just boats that are sitting on the mud. Even the big Emirates Starline base at Portumna now has a river of muck outside the store, no water, whatever. And they're having terrible difficulties trying to service their boats from the quay wall at Portumna Bridge. They are our,
1: our engine's <laughs> getting clogged
5: with this mud? No, no, that's not... It's just so muddy, you just can't move. There's no question of your engine starting. It's, there are rocks appearing down there that people didn't remember seeing for 55 years now Is the last real low-level head there. I hope to go down someday with a fast boat and go around with a camera
1: and picture it before it fills back up again. Is the Inland Waterways worried that this is changing the ecology of Loch earth? Well,
5: this one accident, of course, it can't help that. I don't know that it will change the ecology in any way. What will happen, of course, is when that breach is repaired, then have to drain off Loch Ree and Loch Allen and Loch Key, you know, to get water down to Derry. But with a bit of luck from our point of view, this won't happen about October. And our boating season is officially over anyway. And you can expect the rains, of course, to contribute. And, well, you hope for enough rain not to spoil the winter, but at the same time to fill the river for you. <clears throat> now last year we had fantastic rainfall together. It even brought up Blessington Lake back up to rowing standards, and that wasn't expected to recover for two or three years. And the one winter recovered it. But if you get the water back, that's the price you pay for it. bad weather for the winter.
1: A number of people along the river share Sean Fitzsimons' view that a mistake was made in drawing water too rapidly off Loch Derg. I put this point of view to Donal O'Leary, a maintenance engineer with the ESB.
7: Well, uh, it is a fact that we've lowered Lockdorne gno- lower than its normal summer level this, this year, and that was mainly due to uh, an industrial aeration problem in Poolbeg Power Station, which prohibited the operation of a very large set there of 250 megawatts. And this also occurred during a period when a considerable amount of plant is normally out for maintenance. So that we were, in fact, short to plant, and in order to avoid load shedding, we used the crush a bit more than we normally would. This meant lowering block And when this became obvious, we av- advised all the boat owners around the lake that uh, first to hire ferrums by word of mouth, and then we put an no- notice on the public press advising the private boat owners and all other boat owners to whom we had no direct access we were, in fact, going to lower the Lake. And the matter was further, further complicated then by virtue of the fact that when we were very nearly down on the lake level, down to the low, down to the minimum operating level, we got a slip on one of the banks near Fort Henry. And the repairs to that now are completed, and we're on our way back up again. Unfortunately, June and July were both very dry months, and the inflow of the lake now is very, very low, and it will take considerable time to get back up again. If we make an inch a day, we'll be lucky at the at the present inflow. Of course, if we get heavy rain, we'll inflow increases, and we may be able to get back up quicker than that.
1: They're saying down on the lakes that the ESB made a mistake, that they drained off the water too fast, and they didn't allow for seepage in the banks. And well, that's let's what be, caused the collapse.
7: Let's be quite clear, no seepage through the embankment occurred at all. An inward slip did occur, which is not due to seepage. And we have... A prescribed regulation for drawing down the the, the level of the lakes. So they've been drawn down before. We've had slips before when we didn't draw down the level, and we were actually within the normal zone of operation, which is 105 OD and 110 OD when the, the slip did occur. So but we deliberately drew down the the lake in order to avoid load shedding, and we're still about 20 centimetres higher than the minimum level at the time that this slip occurred.
1: They're saying down there that they see rocks in the lake now that haven't been seen for 50 years.
7: That's very likely. Uh, well, not quite as long as 50 years, back to 1939, which would be, what, uh, 40 years
1: probably, yeah. What is the function of the ESB in relation to the Shannon?
7: The ESB control the level of the three major lakes for the purpose of storing water, uh, primarily for a purpose which is used like now, uh, where it will be available in emergency and can be used in emergency. The lakes are normally drawn down late in the summertime to be filled again in the following winter. Normally they wouldn't be drawn down as early as this time of the year, except for the problem of avoiding load shedding. We control the level of the three major lakes. The Office of Public Works navigation section control all the intervening weirs, which are operated for navigation purposes.
1: Are you aware of the dangers to the ecology of lowering a lake as drastically as this?
7: We are uh, very much aware of it and very much aware of our responsibility to both owners and to general ecology of the system. And we try to avoid it all within all reason. But when things get out of hand, it's either a case of power cuts every day or use the water, one or the other. So we decided to use the water to avoid low chilling.
1: Have the fleet operators in the Upper Shannon benefited from Loch Derg's misfortune?
4: I wouldn't think so. At the moment, one third of the river is denied to, 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 to the higher cruisers. For example, we have Instructors our hires, they must must not proceed further south than Bannehar because of the risks due to the low water. So at the moment, one third of the cruising ground is denied to all cruisers, and that means our clients just can't use Loch Derg, which is certainly not to our benefit.
3: And a lot of our hirers are repeat hirers. We all on the Shannon have a very high degree of repeat business, and these hirers have been used to traversing the whole Shannon, right from Leitrim Village all the way down to Killaloo, and they miss the other end.
4: Yeah, well f- for example, here in Athlone, our Athlone cruisers company is based here in Athlone. We have another company, Flagline, in Carrigan and Shannon, but our Athlone boats, we would normally, if, if the weather is bad, if it's windy weather or stormy weather, we would advise people to start off by going south, because south from Athlone is just a, a stretch of river about 100 yards wide, and it's quite safe for the, for the sheerest novice. But at the moment, we can't do that, because they can only go as far as Bannehill, which is one day to the south whereas going to the north, they must cross Loch Rhee, a wide-open stretch of water, and we, we, we just, at, at the moment, we, we can only tell them to go north because they, there's, there's nowhere for them to go south down towards Loch Derg. So there's a certain added risk for our hires here in that loan due to the fact that they can't cruise all the way down south.
1: But what I mean is, are you getting the custom that might have gone to hires in Loch Derg? Are they coming further north?
3: No, I don't think that's necessarily so because most of the companies on the Shannon are basting their bookings with travel agents and the bookings are made a long time in advance. We might pick up some speculative hires, but not really very many. So it really means that the clients who are booked to come have, ha- have to have a slight change in, in their holiday cruising.
1: Holiday cruising must be unique in the fact that the hirer hands over to a stranger a piece of equipment worth 30,000 pounds after just half an hour's instruction. That's true, yes
5: you see the way some of them are handled afterwards, you can appreciate the dollars that they got. <laughs> but you just couldn't give them any longer without a huge overhead in staff and on turnaround day. Like, the boat comes into a harbour base in the morning at about 11 o'clock, and the new people arrive for that at about 4 o'clock. And you've got 50 boats on a
1: turnaround. You can see the difficulty right away. But it must be the only trade where such an expensive piece of equipment is put into amateur hands but they're
5: fairly safe on the water, comparatively
1: speaking, too.
5: You wouldn't give the same value of a car to somebody to take out on the road. Yeah, But they'd be lethal out on the road. They're not that bad on the water.
1: I've seen a few who are lethal on the water.
5: I've seen a few, <laughs> seen a few as well. <laughs> Their biggest problem seems to be they drive them like they're driving a car, full ahead and full reverse for going astern. They scream up to a key wall and expect to put on brakes. And, of course, they don't. And the boat chauffeur.
3: Someone one day said to me, it's like handing out a fleet of Rolls Royces to people who just can't drive at all. And that is, I suppose, basically what we do. It isn't quite as unscientific as that. We do give them a lot of information before they come. We print a captain's handbook and send it to them in advance in whatever language they require. We send them as much information as we can on the holiday. We also give them at least half an hour's tuition. We do it by form of a classroom at our marina. We have a a briefing room for the captains and talk to them for at least half an hour. And then after that, we give them a demonstration on the water with the driver. And if after that period they should think that they're not fit or capable or competent to drive the cruiser we will repeat that trial run but we've been in business now for 9 years and i can only remember two clients that we had to give additional trial runs to
6: when i first went on the river as the Shannon is of course to everybody who's ever been on it i was expecting that actually driving a boat was going to be something dreadfully complicated and something that you know you, i'd be very scared about although i've been on deep water boats i've worked in fact as a seaman And I'd never actually, you know, handled a boat in that sense and, you know, done the tying up, done the manoeuvring in the river and I thought this was going to be something horrific. And in fact I got about, I suppose, about 20 minutes, some chap on the boat said you do this and you do that and then this is how you put it into reverse and if you want to pull in you do this and that was it. And then he wandered off and I must say I was scared, 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 witless and pulled up to the nearest pier and pulled in on it with various, took me about 20 minutes to actually manoeuvre in without scraping the boat and then the next, the next horrific thing was going into the first lock, and I thought, my God, this is going to be terrifying. And again, it was, you know, quite easy. Once you've done it once, and the only way to learn is do it once, it was very, very easy. You, you tend to almost forget about the mechanics, and you get uh, a little bit perhaps brave, braver than you should be, and you, you decide that the charts are all well and good, but maybe you could go in. You know, it's a lovely-looking bay, and even though it says there isn't deep water there, you know, you try it out, and you go in and you get stuck on the sand or whatever, so you promptly get out and you don't go off the charts again. But uh, I think that it's so easy. It's easier than driving a car because it doesn't even take that attention. Because it's a lot easier. You don't have traffic lights. You don't have people cutting across you. And you're moving at a far slower pace. And you've got two or three people to help out, any of whom can slow you down or, you know, haul you into the mainland if you need that. It, it's so easy. That was, that was the first immense impression that you can forget about all the mechanicals. Uh, and the second thing is the sheer joy of doing it. You know, being in charge of your own craft. Now, I've seen Germans on the river with the nautical cap and sort of, you know, yelling orders. you think they were still in a U-boat somewhere. And people, you know, the wives or sweethearts or, you know, children or whatever, you know, sort of snapping the heels practically before they jump to the orders. And uh, they're obviously getting great fun out of it, both crew and captain. But on uh, the average Irish run boat, it's a lot less formal than that. People just go around and someone takes a turn on the wheel and you point it somewhere and you decide where to go.
1: Cruising on a Shannon boat is an easygoing, attractive way of passing summer days. But is there an element of danger in it?
5: Well, everyone thinks the, the most dangerous thing is falling overboard when you can't swim.
1: This happens quite a lot.
5: Well, it does happen, but the numbers lost that way. The reason is sport small. They get a lot of things like. Damaged ankles and that from putting their feet between the boat and the key wall or coming into a lock that everybody panics coming into a lock and do everything, including falling overboard into the lock. But falling into a lock is rest- relatively safe, but there's plenty of people all around you. It's the fellow that falls overboard up the lake somewhere, and the wife can't handle the boat or she can't swim and doesn't know what on to do for him. Or she comes back and tangles him up with the propeller. Well, I haven't heard of any case that happening. It's always a, a, a danger. Usually you can't get back with it, though. What about children aboard? Children are much safer than adults giving them credit for. They're very seldom fall aboard. They should make it a golden rule, of course, if they can't swim. You just wear a life jacket all day. And once they get that the first day or two, I find children don't mind it. They know they must wear the life jacket, and that's all they're doing. Hmm. The size of these hard boats are such that... You won't turn them over, they won't be capsized, that sort of thing. People panic and don't watch what they're doing and let the wind dictates them. They'll end up in shallows and rocks and hold the boats. But then they're, they're sitting on the bottom. They're
1: not going anywhere, they're not going to sink. So they're not going to get drowned. They're not sea going boats and yet they have to meet conditions which are worse than a sea. You get a six foot swell sometimes, don't you? True, you do, yeah. And you get it coming from different points, whereas in the sea you'll get it normally
5: running one. That's day. right, yes. You get wind changes very fast. And especially on places like down Loch Dare near Parker Pint is a notorious place. It's actually the spot where the only Grand Canal Company barge ever sank in a storm. But there if you're coming up out of Killaloo and the wind is from uh, or is it southwest? You can hope the river, taking the wind slap bang behind you, and you're lovely and safe. You come round the Park the Point, you, get right in the nose. And it's terribly confusing and, and very dirty at times.
6: Well, on Dergoree, which are large inland lakes, if you get a storm which whips up, they can be quite dangerous because at sea you get long, slow waves. The wind in such a confined space as these lakes, they're very short waves you get and they're very choppy. So it's very hard to manoeuvre a boat in them. And it's quite easy to get it out of control or temporarily out of control. But they tell you, don't go across the lake if there's a storm coming or there's an actual storm uh, happening at the time, which makes perfect sense. Because if you don't know anything about boats, and there are a lot of people who go out who have don't know the first thing about them, and if they take the you know, reasonable precautions, reasonable sense, stay to the charts, there are rocks which are not ma- marked, but those that are not marked are off the main channels. And the, the levels are shifting in, in in the Shannon every now and again. It's been gradually silting up since they, they built the, the Shannon uh, power station. Uh, also, uh, from year in, year out, as they do various drainage schemes, there are changes here and there. Uh, but the basic channels, which are, you know, dotted lines down the middle of the map... Uh, I once met a German, actually, who came in to complain because there were no dotted lines on the river when he went out looking for his channel. Uh, but yeah, it's true, it actually happened. But the they are well-marked, and the, the boys know that. It's quite well-marked. If you went out in rough weather, you know, you're, you're looking for trouble. But basically, it's quite safe. You can fall overboard. Uh, the first eight times I was on the Shannon, I pulled somebody out of the water, mainly kids who'd fallen in. Uh, just coincidence, eight times in a row, I happened to pull somebody out. But uh, you have got life jackets. If you're not a good swimmer, it's advisable to, to wear one. I'm not a good swimmer, so I always wear one. And the the old rule, if you see somebody else in the water... Stay on board while you're pulling them out, rather than going in after them, is a very sensible rule. Uh, the there are dangers. There's always danger on water. There's danger on the roads. If you go hitchhiking, it's dangerous. But uh, the the Shannon is, I think, as safe as you're going to get.
4: I think if you're the worrying type, you shouldn't be hiring boats <laughs> for openers, <laughs> because if you worry, you've got you've got the material there for about ten nervous breakdowns in your lifetime.
3: All in one season. All in one
4: season, because. The things that happen on the Shannon, it's a, it's a saga, <laughs> a, a, a recurring saga that goes on from one season to the next. But really, while dramatic things do happen, looking back over a few years, people are not really that bad. You have the outstanding bad ones who did terribly stupid things and did a lot of damage, but the average person is on his holidays and hes, he's if, if, if he, he may not be too interested in the safety of your boat, but he's certainly interested, interested in his own safety and keeping his own skin intact. But this helps to keep the boats afloat, and the record of the hire boats on the Shannon as far as injury and fatalities are concerned is extraordinary. It's almost nil. Don't ask me why. Under the normal laws of chance, there should be five or ten people written off every year, but it never seems to happen. There's some special guardian angel in heaven who minds people on the Shannon hire boat, because in fact most of, of the fatalities that have been on the river, strangely enough, have been off private boats with relatively experienced people. But our Joe Soaps, who really haven't much of a clue and who get themselves into all sorts of tangles, never seem to get themselves into a really ultimate tangle that costs them their life. And for some reason or other, which I said, I don't actually understand, but very few, the very few people have been drowned off our boats. Very, very few people have been hurt in spite of the fact that this year, twenty-five or 30,000 people will spend the holidays in the Shannon. And the same twenty-five or 30,000 people will actually go home safely in spite of the fact that boating is, per se, a, a certain danger there. But there's somebody looking after them. I don't know who he is, but whoever he is, he's good at his job.
1: <laughs> with an ever-increasing number of hire boats on the river, there's a danger that they will become a pollution threat. I put this point to several fleet owners. Paddy Ryan of Emerald Star Lines, the largest operators with 165 cruisers, had this to say.
2: There, there is a little bit of, of, if I could use the word agro at the moment, about pollution on the channel, which is contributed to by many sources, as you know. Uh, boats are being singled out as possibly uh, an offender, and we, as you say, by being the biggest sector, that biggest offender. Uh, but I'd like you to know that we have not only uh, initiated uh, discussions with um, the industrial Research and Standards Institute, but that we have committed ourselves to introducing sealed toilets into our new cruises very shortly. We only hope that the local authorities will be able to cope with the output from these sealed toilets when we bring them on the river, or on stream, I suppose you
1: might say. Other major operators, like Kerry Sloan and Mary Thomas, are also aware of this problem.
4: Our product, in fact, is the river, not the boats. And no matter how good the boats are, if the river becomes polluted, we have lost our product. People will not want to cruise on, an, on a polluted waterway, and we're very conscious of this. And at the moment, we have engaged a consulting engineer, and when I say we, I mean the members of the Irish Boat Rental Association, to go into the whole question of anti-pollution measures for the boats so that we can prevent any pollution that we may be putting into the river ourselves. But there is one big problem, and it is this, that it is... Possible to fit holding tanks onto boats to collect the sewage that is disposed of by the occupants. But when the boat comes into a harbour, these tanks must be discharged somewhere into something. And the only thing you can discharge them into at the moment is the town sewer. But unfortunately in most towns, the town sewer is connected directly to the river and is pouring untreated sewage back into the river, so if we fit these tanks would be making the problem even more difficult because our boats which would have deposited small amounts of sewage all along the river would be concentrating this sewage into one point jumping into a sewer and discharging it in a highly concentrated form into a very small stretch of river below a town. So until such time as the local authorities install proper sewage treatment plants in the town along the Shannon it's a waste of time for us to install Holding tanks, etc., in our boats to prevent our boats disposing the sewage into the river. But we are ready. We have our plans made, and th- and when the time comes, we'll be able to put this into operation very, very quickly. In fact, we may we may even put these anti-pollution measures into operation before the local authorities come round to our way of thinking. <laughs> so so that we 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 have everything in order because it's a long-term putting holding tanks into boats is a long-term program. you just don't do it overnight. But we're proceeding with the planning at the moment. We're investigating best types of tanks to install, the best type of pump-out stations, and when the, s- the the urban councils and county councils put in the sewage treatment plants, we will be ready. In fact, we will be ready before them.
3: Yes, and in fact, all the newer boats that are being put on the Shannon on the last couple of years, they are designed with holding tanks in mind, so the modifications that we will have to do on the existing fleets really won't take that long to do. And we also are in contact with the Broads people and with the American people on the anti-pollution information, and we get all these information sheets. So we think we are, we are aware of the problem. We are doing all that we can about it at the moment, and as Kerry said, we are really now waiting for the county councils and urban councils to do something with the treatment and to have more plants along the river.
4: Correct. To put the thing into perspective, John, this year approximately 25,000 people will spend approximately a week and a half on holidays on the Shannon in other words, 25,000 people will spend 10 days polluting the Shannon. 25,000 people will be roughly the number of people in this catchment area for the Atlone sewage. So our 10,000 people would spread as much sewage along the Shannon in 10 days over the whole length of the Shannon as the town of Atlone would discharge for 10 days into one spot just below the weir in Athlone. And it goes without saying that Atlone discharges sewage in the river for 52 weeks of the year, not one and a half weeks of the year. And it does it in just in one concentrated spot. And this applies to almost every town along the Shannon. And it's a big, big problem.
1: There's no doubt that the Shannon has its problems, but it also has the people who are capable of solving them. Cruising is a growth industry, and growth will inevitably bring further headaches. But the people who enjoy messing about in a quiet, watered land will always come back, and the simple delights will always await them. You get so close to the wildlife
6: because people on boats, they feed the ducks and they throw things at the swans and that, and they're not scared of you. And the mere fact of your being on the water, they allow you to get right up close to them. And there's also a feeling you're moving so quietly that, you know, they get out of your way rather gently, which you don't see from a car. You only see when you're walking on a by-road. You have to be on a boreen to get that close to nature otherwise. And it's a great feeling. You come across the odd otter, uh, the old swans, the ducks, and... A thing I found very strange, I didn't think you got them the um not the gannets, the uh diving birds, uh the black ones uh which which you which you get the the cormorants, sorry, I was trying to think of the name, the cormorants which you get in the lakes, which I thought were only sea birds, and you find them you know just sticking off an old rock somewhere in the middle of the lakes and looking rather ugly and ungainly, looking as if they're wearing rags as against the the swans which are wearing their best plumage, and they're wandering about and go, you're so close. And there's also a great freedom, a great camaraderie about the river. You know, you're a river person, you're a river rat, if you wish. And you kind of look down on people on the banks. Not in a nasty, snobbish way, but they don't have the freedom you have. They don't have the ease that you have. You're bringing your house with you. You have everything there. You have your own toilet, beds, bunks, dining room, everything. And it's all there. So you're you're totally self-contained. And you don't have to worry about these people. You... Impinge on their lives, and then you leave them go their own way, but somehow you're above them. It's a strange feeling.
0: There are backwater places all hidden from view, and quaint little islands just waiting for you. So I'll leave you right now, and cast off your bow, go messing about on
7: the